Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Exodus, if you will. First of all, Exodus chapter 12. I began this sermon uh, a month ago when we last observed the Lord's table, and I didn't feel I could do justice to it to just wrap it up real quick. So we're going to spend another message time talking about the Passover lamb. Although the religious calendar of the Jews doesn't start January 1 like we're used to with the Gregorian calendar, it usually starts in the month of April, what corresponds to our April. Uh, I hope we can identify with the sentiments of verse 2 here in chapter 12 where God says to Moses, this month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. It's significant that the very first observance of the Passover was on the eve of Israel's deliverance from Egypt after 400 years of slavery. Yahweh, Jehovah, did not want His people to forget what He'd done for them in bringing them out of Egypt. And He'd said, I did it with a, a high hand and with a stretched out arm. And that was His calling card from that day forward. I'm the Lord thy God which redeemed thee out of the land of Egypt. It was a big deal big deal to God. I hope it's a big deal to us. I mean that, being redeemed by blood and by power. Well, we'll take in the whole 13 verses, the first 13 verses. It's not the whole chapter, but if you'll read along with me as I read aloud, and then we'll read one verse from the New Testament as well. Verse 1 of chapter 12 of Exodus. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your account for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and ye shall keep it up unto the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night roast with fire and with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw nor sodden, at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs, and with the pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it unto the morning ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall ye eat it, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Ye shall eat it in haste, it is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. This is the institution of the Passover, which is the basis for the New Testament ordinance of the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper. 
the observance of the Jewish Passover was absolutely foundational to the national and cultural life of Israel. In the same way, redemption by the blood of the Lamb is foundational to the spiritual life of every true believer. I've said it many times, and I don't apologize for saying it again. Life begins at Calvary. Don't tell me about what happened before you got saved, unless you're just magnifying the grace of God. The Apostle Paul didn't do that. As Saul of Tarsus, he said, the things that were gained to me, everything else that, that others thought was wonderful that happened to me before the Damascus Road, he said, I counted it but loss. I don't want to even talk about it. Life begins at Calvary. And we must preach the gospel to ourselves, the gospel of the blood atonement to ourselves every day, not just on Communion Sunday. If we would have communion with our God and victory over sin. Allow me to review a little bit more than I usually would when I'm preaching consecutive messages because it's been five Sundays since we talked about this. Maybe some of you weren't here at all five Sundays ago, so you'll, you'll really appreciate the review. What kind of lamb was this Passover lamb that pictured Jesus the Lamb of God? What kind of lamb? Well, first of all, we considered it was a slain lamb. It was a killed lamb, a butchered lamb. Verse 6, the latter part of that verse gives us further instructions that God gave to Moses about this lamb. The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. The lamb had to be slain at the right time, in the right manner, picturing the death of Jesus who was slain on the cross between the two evenings. And I submit to you that no other animal could have pictured and typified so well the Lamb of God as this sheep, this lamb. I've said it before, but I'll say it again. We see a progression in the Old Testament with the offering of Abel. There was an a lamb, a bl innocent blood was shed, and that was for an individual. But then here we have a lamb slain for an house, it says in the earlier verses of chapter 12. With the institution of the Day of Atonement, the holiest day of the year, Yom Kippur, there was a lamb slain or a goat slain for the whole nation, and the, na the sins of the nation were covered by their representative, the high priest. But then when Jesus Christ came on the scene, the, uh, His forerunner, John the Baptist, announced, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away, not just covers, but takes away the sin of the world. We ought to be shouting. We're such dignified Baptists around here. That's something to shout about. A slain lamb for the whole nation, for the whole world. Jesus is most lamb-like in the fact that He was slain. It wasn't just innocent blood that was shed, it was sinless blood. It would not have done for there to be an interactive nativity display at the front door. God wanted blood. An innocent lamb had to be killed. First of all, as a substitutionary sacrifice, only when Jehovah saw the blood of the lamb on the lintel and on the doorposts, would he be satisfied and pass over that house without slaying the firstborn son under its roof? Otherwise, it didn't matter whether it was 
an Israelite or an Egyptian, didn't matter whether it was Pharaoh's house or the house of a slave, the firstborn son, whether he was one year old or a hundred years old, would die. And I'm sure I'm not being too highly imaginative when I just say, I'm sure there were houses in Egypt that night where there were at least three generations of firstborn sons, maybe four. There could have been an elderly, white-haired gentleman hardly able to walk, perhaps had to have assistance, and he was the firstborn son of his deceased father. Don't you know, as the midnight hour approached, he would say to his son, will you take me out and let me see the door? I want to make sure the blood is there. Would to God we were all that intent to make sure the blood has been applied to our hearts. It was a substitutionary sacrifice slain for us. The lamb was slain to provide food to sustain us. Slaying the lamb, splattering the blood on the doorposts and the lintel was not the only purpose for that lamb, was not the only thing that Israel was commanded to do with it. We read in verses 8 and 9, "...and they shall eat the flesh in that night roast with fire." And with unleavened bread, you can still buy the unleavened bread even in the grocery stores. And with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden, that means boiled at all with water, but roast with fire. Isn't that interesting? Roast with fire, his head with his legs, and with the pertinence or the entrails thereof. Each of these specifications was so suggestive, and I won't take all the time I did a month ago, but let me just mention them briefly. Roast with fire. Roast with fire. The lamb could not be eaten raw or boiled. It had to be roasted. Couldn't be just cooked. Does that not speak of what our Savior, the Lamb of God, went through, the fire that He went through when He passed uh, into judgment on the cross for our sins, and He became food for our souls? The obedient Jew was to gaze upon and to feed upon the lamb roasted in the fire, consumed by the wrath of God for sin. And it was a whole lamb that was slain. It was a whole lamb that was eaten. You shall let nothing of it remain unto the morning. Again, I say, you can't just take half of Christ. You have to take all of Him. He has to be not only your justification, your righteousness, He must be your wisdom and redemption and sanctification. Roast with fire. It had to be with unleavened bread in verse 8. As you know, with very few exceptions, and there are few, leaven in the Bible is a type of sin. It has an evil connotation. Sin spreads. Sin permeates. Sin defiles. A housewife would take a chunk of dough off of a loaf, would roll it into a ball, then would submerge it, sour it in water, so that it could be a starter. We've had you ladies do that. It could pass starters from lady to lady for, your, for bread to cause it to rise. Paul refers to this with the Corinthians who were plagued with holdover sins from the past. And I want you to look at the companion text that we did not read yet. If you will take your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, 
verse 6. No doubt speaking directly to this Passover observance, verse 6, the Apostle Paul says, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, your glorying, your boasting is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. And then he goes on to say, keep the feast with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, not with the old leaven of malice and wickedness. We might use a little different figure. We understand it when we say, one rotten apple spoils the whole barrel. You've got to find it so you can get rid of it. And so I say without apology as we come to the observance of the Lord's table this morning in just a few moments, what is the sin that God has brought to your remembrance? What is the sin that is rotting like a cancer in your heart and life? Purge it out. Be ruthless about it. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. Roast with fire, with unleavened bread, and then with bitter herbs. That is often overlooked. We don't usually say much about the bitter herbs. I'm sure the roast lamb was delicious. I mentioned not that long ago I, I had some, some lamb, some, some mutton. It was very, very good. I'm sure the unleavened bread was at least palatable. Maybe it's not your favorite kind of bread, but it, you, can, you can take it. But what about those bitter herbs? There are two kinds of bitter herbs that are served even in the modern-day Passover observance. What about those bitter herbs? What does that suggest? Please listen carefully. Remember what Paul said to Timothy in his first epistle, chapter 1, verse 15. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation, all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and Paul said, of whom I was chief? No. Of whom I am chief. He was a mature saint. He'd been saved many years when he said those words, when he wrote those words. He did not say, I was chief before I was arrested by Christ on the road to Damascus. And no, even in heaven, at the table there, we will remember our sin, though aren't you glad it will cause us no consternation because we've been freely forgiven and the very guilt has been washed away, the remembrance of it all but forgotten. But if we will remember it in that sense then, how much more should we remember it now? We are fully and freely forgiven but we are still sinners. Yes, there's the bitter memory of our sins. There is the bitter reproach of Christ that a man must bear when he hates the sins that he once embraced. And so even as we come to the Lord's table, yes, there's the bitter herbs. What kind of lamb? A slain lamb? What kind of lamb? A spotless lamb. Had to be spotless lamb. Couldn't be just any lamb. that would do for the paschal lamb. Verse 5 is so specific. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Surely the lamb of God, the son of God, had to be an acceptable sacrifice to his father. He was without blemish. This lamb chosen had to be, it couldn't be deaf, it couldn't be deformed, it, it, it couldn't be diseased, it couldn't be defective with any part missing. It couldn't be decrepit. 
or it had to be discarded. And what does the Bible say about the one whose blood has redeemed us? As we read 1 Peter chapter 1, 18 and 19, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain tradition of the past, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Unless Jesus had lived an absolutely sinless life, never sinning one time, being holy in word, thought, and deed, He could not be our sacrifice, our substitutionary sacrifice with His death. He was cut off in His prime. Jesus offered Himself a sacrifice in the fullness of His manhood. Don't you appreciate those words so much? For God spared not His own Son. He spared Him not, offered Him up as a sacrifice for us all. He was without blemish. He could have no broken bone. If you're there in Exodus chapter 12, we didn't read it, but if you'll jump to, toward the end of the chapter, verse 46, notice what the Bible says. Verse 46 of Exodus 12, In one house shall it be eaten. Thou shalt not carry forth aught of the flesh abroad out of the house, neither shall ye break a bone thereof. And we read in Psalm 34, verse 20, surely a messianic reference, He keepeth all His bones, not one of them is broken. And John tells us, as we read in chapter 19 in the earlier part of the service, that when the soldiers came to break the legs of the other two malefactors, the other two criminals on either side of Jesus, they did that to hasten asphyxiation and death, otherwise uh, Roman crucifixion, someone could stay on a cross for days. But they found that Jesus was dead already. So they didn't take a, a maul and smash his femurs like they did the malefactors. And they, one of the soldiers, one of the centurions took a spear and thrust it into his side and blood and water came out. We'll talk about that in a moment. But not one bone, not one little fractured bone at all. And that's really remarkable. It shows that Jesus died according to His own terms. He controlled His death from the cross. They didn't take them all. They didn't smash His femurs. They didn't have to prevent Him from pushing up on His legs and catching a breath. Why? He was already dead. Why? His work was done. The Scripture was fulfilled. He dismissed His Spirit. He could testify beforehand, no man taketh my life from me. I lay it down of myself. And this Lamb was set apart. Verse 6 makes it clear chapter 12, and ye shall keep it up unto the 14th day of the month. That means it was selected. It was set apart for four days. It's taken away from the rest of the flock. It was kept alone. Why? To be closely inspected over that four-day period. And don't you know Jesus was closely examined by all classes of people, the right-wing Pharisees, the liberal Sadducees, he was examined by Jews as well as Gentiles who came up to the feast. He was closely inspected by the aristocracy as well as the common people. He was inspected by both Herod and Pontius Pilate. And what was their verdict after all that impartial 
ruthless inspection, I find no fault in him. Innocent blood. Now we come to the third point that is a new material today, and I hope God will speak to our hearts. He has already spoken to mine. But sometimes when I've been blessed, it's hard to convey it to you. Will you pray that God will help me convey it to you? The third thing, what kind of lamb was this? It was a sanctifying lamb. Not only was the lamb set apart or sanctified in prospect of its being slain, but those who were thus spared were said to be sanctified. The very ones who were spared, the firstborn, were said to belong to God. Look at chapter 13 of of Exodus, if you will. Chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Sanctify, set apart unto me all the firstborn, whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. Verse 12 echoes the same thought. Isn't it interesting? We the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, we often think of and talk about the mark of the beast, which will be on uh, the, the mark of the false Christ, which will be on everyone that is, is consigned to the lake of fire. <clears throat> but have you ever thought that there will be a mark on those of us who are saved as well? Revelation 3, verse 12, Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem. Beloved, if you're saved, if I'm saved, we are a marked people. The blood is upon us. We have been set apart. As Paul told Timothy, the Lord knoweth them that are his. I'm glad he does. It's kind of hard for us to judge sometimes. Back in the summer of 2014, some of you remember this, in Mosul, Iraq, in the war, there were Christians living there who had their houses marked by ISIS with the Arabic letter N, which stood for Nazrani or Christian. These people had been given the ultimatum, either convert, pay a ransom, or die. They refused the first. They couldn't afford the second. And so they braced for the third. Their houses were spray-painted with the Arabic letter N. Much like the Nazis marked Jewish homes in World World War II with Jude. They were marked for death because they would not recant their faith, and many of them did die. We're a marked people, and we've been crucified with Christ. What makes us holy? What makes us holy? First of all, it is the... Christ alone who makes us holy. He is fit to do that. Only He can do that. Remember how He testified in His great high priestly prayer in John 17, verse 19, and for their sakes, for the sakes of His own disciples and 
by extension, us today, 2,000 years later, it says, and for their sakes I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified by the truth. And could I say it reverently? Please don't misunderstand me. Christ was sinless before He ever went to Calvary. He could point His finger at His accusers in His day and say, which of you convinceth me of sin? And they couldn't do it. They had to fabricate something to get Him executed. It was trumped up charges. But though He was sinless before He ever went to the cross, He was in a very real sense not holy until He shed His blood on the altar of the cross. And in the Old Testament, we see that that altar had to be purified sevenfold with blood. It had to be made perfectly holy, and then anything that touched it was holy. The Bible says in Hebrews 5, verse 8, the human Jesus, let's be careful here, let's say it reverently, make sure we understand it, He learned obedience by the things which He suffered. He was made perfect. I didn't say that. God's inspired Word said that. When you read the Old Testament book of Exodus, the one word that should scream out at you and me is the word redeemed or the word redemption. That's what Exodus is all about. How are we redeemed? How was Israel redeemed? Which provides a perfect object lesson for us. First of all, they were redeemed by blood. A price had to be paid and then they were set free. They were liberated. That's what Passover was all about. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. I mean, when God sees that faith has applied the work of Christ to our hearts, He will not visit us in judgment when He comes to pour out His fury on the earth in the last day. But it wasn't just by blood that the Israelites were redeemed. Just a few hours after leaving Egypt in haste, after observing the Passover meal, this slave nation of probably at least two million, maybe two and a half million people, found themselves trapped at the waters of the Red Sea. In front were the impassable waters of the Red Sea. It wasn't just six inches of water either. On either side were high, impassable mountains. Closing in on them from behind was the host of Pharaoh's army. They panicked. They said to their leader, Moses, what are we going to do? Remember the answer? He said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. It was not in fight. It was not in flight that they would be delivered. They would only be delivered by a dramatic display of the power of Jehovah God. And you know what he did? And I hope that you only, you don't think only of Charlton Heston in the famous movie, The Ten Commandments. You know, with the wind blowing and his locks flowing. It was far greater. It wasn't Moses that was the great man. It was God. He parted the waters of the Red Sea like a scroll and the whole nation went across on dry ground. And when the last foot of the last Israelites was safely on the other side, those waters collapsed. And the whole army of Pharaoh closing in on them were drowned, every single one of them. The Bible says that the Israelites saw their enemies washed up on the shore. 
Wow, what a change from the day before. And the Jehovah of Israel got himself a name that day. There was no satellite. There was no radio. But let me tell you, the news spread fast. Jehovah was the God of Israel who delivered his people at the waters of the Red Sea. His reputation spread far and wide. But lastly, I want you to notice something that I never really meditated on before. I hope it will bless your heart like it blessed mine. Before we observe the Lord's table together, I want you to see that in this matter of being sanctified by the blood, the claim of Christ upon us to be His is because we have been spared. The very ones spared were the ones Jehovah claimed as uniquely His own. And what do we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20? Would you turn there, please? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Maybe you've memorized these verses. They're worthy of being memorized. The closing two verses of the chapter. What? Question mark. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. That's why we're not our own. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We have been purchased with Christ's own blood. His mark is on us. We belong to Him. How can any of us, any of us not be His willing bond slave? This realization comes through the life-giving Spirit. The reason some of you are aren't rejoicing in this today, and it's not a big blessing to you, is you haven't experienced what God wants you to experience. Do you have any idea how unusual and unique was the death of Jesus Christ? Thousands had been crucified by Roman crucifixion before Him. Thousands had met that fate. Just as the soldiers who were sent to arrest Jesus, came back empty-handed to their senders and said, never man spake like this man. And we could add, never man lived like this man lived. It could also be said, never man died like this man died. As I said already, he controlled his own death. He dismissed his spirit. No man took his life from him. No Roman, no Jew. As the soldiers came to break his legs... The legs of the three victims, they didn't break Jesus' leg. We mentioned it in John 19, verse 34. So one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and immediately there came out blood and water. Don't overlook that water. What had happened? This was a miracle. In a very real sense, the heart had been ruptured. It exploded. Jesus suffered like no other man has suffered. Psalm 69, verse 20, prophesied of him. He said, reproach hath broken my heart. Jesus died of a broken heart, a ruptured heart. We know what the blood symbolized, but what about that water? 
Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45. I think this should settle it for all time. I know not all Christians agree, but I think they should agree. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45, and so it is written, the first Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening or a life-giving spirit. When was he made that? That's a critically important question. When was Jesus made a life-giving spirit? I submit to you, it was when He gave up the ghost, when He dismissed His spirit. This is when the rock spoken of in the Old Testament, from which water flowed following the Jews, this is when the rock, Christ, was smitten and the living waters flowed. By the way, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4, it doesn't just say, and that rock pictured Christ. It says, that rock was Christ. And John 7, verses 37 through 39 come alive now. On that last great day of the feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, when Jesus went up to the feast, Jesus lifted up His voice and cried. He didn't just say it in hushed tones for only His own to hear. He cried, if any man come unto me and drink, if any man's thirsty, let him come unto me and drink. Out of his belly, out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. This spake He of the Spirit, which they that believe on Him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet, the word given is in italics, the Holy Ghost was not yet, for Jesus was not yet glorified. Now you may say those are cryptic words, but I say they're inspired, and I think we ought to study them to try to come to some understanding of them. When Jesus dismissed His Spirit, it was a defining, dramatic moment. God called attention to it. It was an earth-shaking moment, literally, because there was an earthquake. The graves open. Many Old Testament saints received that life-giving spirit and came alive, although they did, not, they did not appear in their resurrection bodies to the inhabitants of Jerusalem until Jesus was resurrected. He's the first fruits. Oh, I wish I had the time to develop this. This is holy ground, folks. This is wonderful. This is needful. But when Jesus gave the life-giving Spirit, when He died, when He dismissed His Spirit and gave the Holy Spirit, this is when the spirits of just men were made perfect. This is when Jesus robbed paradise, I believe, taking the repentant thief and Old Testament saints with Him to the third heaven. This is when Jesus was glorified, though it was not manifested fully until three days later. He testified in John 12, verse 31, when Judas had left the upper room to go out and betray Him, He said this, are you listening? Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. He said, I'm about to be glorified. So the reason for Jesus sanctifying Himself is what? That you and I might be sanctified. John 17, verse 19, and for their sakes I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. And we read in Hebrews 10, verse 14, for by one offering He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Who is that? That's you. That's me if we've exercised faith in the blood of Jesus. Why did Jesus set Himself apart? He set Himself apart so that we might be made holy. Maybe I'm talking today to someone who's never repented of your sin. You're without God and without hope. I hope you'll apply this staggering truth to your soul 
because the devil doesn't want you to make it personal. All he wants you to think is this is some cut and dried abstract point of theology. Could I say something? Just where your stony heart breaks is where the living waters will flow. Where are you holding out on God? Where are you dictating terms to a holy God? Until your heart breaks at that point, you can't be saved. I'll never forget a young man, and I've shared this before. I'll share it quickly. I know we have yet to observe the Lord's table. I was working on the church building in the Cayman Islands, Calvary Baptist Church. I know I don't look like a contractor, much less a builder, but when there's nobody else to do it, you do it, right? So I, I, I built a little shed, a little tool shed to put the cement and the tools up. We were getting ready to pour the foundation of the church building. It's hot. You get very hot, Grand Caymans. And in the middle of the day, you take a siesta. I mean, you sit, you sit in the shade of something. And <clears throat> so I was doing that, eating my lunch. I heard a voice come to suddenly speak, hello. I looked up and I saw a young man in his sweatpants and tennis shoes, or flip-flops, flip-flops. And I knew he was a neighbor boy. I'd, I'd never talked to him before, about 21 years old. He introduced himself. He said, I'm Denny. He had a Bible. He knew I was a pastor. He had a Bible that was all marked up like a preacher's. I thought he was a false cult. He said, could I ask you a few questions? And I started to say, I'm busy. But somehow my better judgment prevailed, and I said, sure, go ahead. He said, the Lord has been speaking to me through the Word, and I've come to realize I'm a sinner. He'd just gone out to California. Yeah, it was a strange thing. He, he, the, 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 his motel room was 666, so that got him thinking. He came back, and he went back to his job, and he said, could I ask you a question? He said, I work for the Silver's Nightclub. For such and such a hotel. I, I operate the sound system there. He said, you can imagine what kind of a scene goes on there. It's not pretty. It's not, it's not very holy. Would I have to give up that job in order to be a Christian? Have you ever sent up a postcard when you can't send a letter to God? An ejaculatory prayer? Boy, I sent one up. Lord, help, help me not to complicate this issue, but help me not to let him off the hook. And I turned to him and I said, Denny, in your case, yes, you would. Because you would not have raised that issue unless the Holy Spirit had already convicted you. And you won't get saved on your terms, you'll get saved on God's. I thought he'd be offended. Instead, he broke out into a broad smile, and he said, I just wanted to hear what you say. I turned in my notice this morning. Just where your stony heart breaks is where the living waters will flow.
What sin is God dealing with you about today? If you're here, and I, I'm sure most of those here today are saved people, the message has been primarily to save people, but my challenge is to you, even before we partake of these elements, got them somewhere, yeah, right here. How important is the fountain for sin and uncleanness to you as a Christian? Do you seek the cleansing of the blood every day? Do you stop to think about the fact that your high priest in heaven is showing his hands and his feet to the Father to keep you saved? Do you bow your head as a priest unto God every day to receive that anointing from the Holy Spirit? Have you come to know by continual experience the need for daily dying to self, for reckoning yourself to not only being dead unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord? Have you come to experience, and I'm serious as a heart attack when I say this, have you come to experience the sanctifying power of the cross, both the power of the blood and the power of the water, the life-giving Spirit? That's the challenge today, shall we pray? Father, show us how much we need the blood of Jesus every day in our lives. It's not just a one and done thing, although the atoning blood shed by Christ 2,000 years ago, thank God, covers all of our sin, past, present, and future. Please make us conscious of those five bleeding wounds that our great high priest bears before you that still speak to you for us. May we not be content to just be forgiven to get off the hook as far as going to hell is concerned. Lord, we want to be holy. We want to be cleansed by that blood and by the Spirit of God. Before we even partake of these elements, Lord, would you do a work in hearts? For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. We'll sing a hymn of invitation.